What's going on, everybody? Hope everybody's doing well. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you haven't been rocking the Mystery Ranch backpack on your fire endeavors, well, that sucks because your hips, your back, your knees, your ankles, and all that shit probably sucks. Yeah, sucks to be you. But if you know, if you're in the know, you know that I know that you know that (laughs) Mystery Ranch makes arguably the most comfortable, the most well-built, and best damn firefighting packs out there in the game, hands down. Yeah, period, end of story. They're great. But they make a ton of other stuff. So if you're looking for a pack to go peel a trophy elk off the side of the hill, well, they make a solution for you. If you want to go hike the PCT, well, they got a solution for you too. Hell, even if you're looking for some career development, yeah, they even have a solution for you by uh, the Backbone Series scholarships. Yeah, there's a thousand dollars up for grabs. The next rounds will be coming out. The, the last round actually ended on uh, was that May 31st, uh, 2023. But they are going to be continuing to do this. So be on the lookout. And if you want to find out more, go over to www.mysteryranch.com because there you can find all of the Backbone Series. Uh, information and all of the previously submitted stories and you can find out information on the next one coming up the next round coming up and you can apply that thousand dollar grant if you're chosen and you have a compelling story to help uh, advance your career it's pretty awesome so go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out the anchor point podcast is also going to be brought to you by our friends over at Hotshot Brewery. It's kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Now, if you aren't familiar with them, well, you should be. Go over there. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com, and you can check out all of the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right. Some kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause, and some pretty epic wildland firefighter themed apparel. Hell, they even got some Anchor Point merch over there. Uh, You just got to look for it. Just uh look in the uh, apparel bar and I'll just say T-A-P-P. Yeah. The Anchor Point Podcast. So if you're looking for some merch or some kick-ass coffee or all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, well, go over to hotshotbrewery.com and check everything out. Go do it. Do it right now. It's awesome. The Anchor Point Podcast would like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy booze over at the ass movement. And what does that stand for? Well, it stands for the anti-surface shitting movement. Yeah, I don't know if you have a problem pooper on the crew, but I hate that shit and it needs to stop. Good thing our buddy booze, who is a artist, a photographer, a entrepreneur, a hell of a firefighter. Well, he's got a solution for you. If you want to uh, spread the good word about burying your turds, go over to www.thefirewild.com where you can check out the ass movement and check this out. While you're spreading that poo bearing propaganda, you can get more of it by uh, just entering in the code AnchorPointAss10 at checkout. That way you get 10% off your order site wide at the ass movement. Yeah. So if you're looking for the finest in poo bearing propaganda, go over to, once again, www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement. views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency.
What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. And check this out. This is going to be actually a follow-up episode to the previous one with uh, Paul Torina and his nutrition episode. So this is all going to be about policy. And what I mean by policy is, well, if you don't like the fire lunches, because we all know they suck, well, this is how you're going to uh, voice your concerns and help drive and implement change. So I think it's a perfect uh, follow-up episode to uh, Paul's uh, nutrition episode, and it's more power for you to change the situation for yourself on the ground. But you got to do it the right way, right? Anyways, so a gentleman out of the uh, Tonto National Forest, he is all about changing the game here when it comes to nutrition, especially what we're served on the fire line in fire camps and our damn fire lunches. So he is a uh, dietetics student with the University of Alaska, University of Alaska. He's also a dog musher. And uh, yeah, he kind of pieced together his uh, idea of nutrition and optimization based off of his racing dogs. Yeah, kind of a weird connection, but hey, if it works, it works. He got into fire in uh, 2019 after leaving the Marines and he spent four years as an infantryman. And uh, yeah, he's uh, got a huge passion for basically all your tactical athletes. So your military, firefighters, climbers, hunters, and people that just kind of have like wild, irregular lifestyles. So without further ado, uh, I would like to introduce my good friend, James Shelley. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Hope everybody's doing well. Today on the show, we've got James Shelley. He is a nutrition coach and student of dietetics, dietetics student from the University of Alaska. Close enough? That yeah, close enough. Either one works. <laughs> so what's going on, dude? How you doing? Good, man. How you been? Not too bad. Busy. Real busy. Yeah. Yeah. No, same here. Same here. Just started the season. So yeah. getting rolling down here. Reason three. Oh yeah. Uh, do they uh, have any, this is obviously, this is recorded probably in advance of the recent incident that happened on, uh, was that yesterday, right? Over around the Coronado. Did they ever catch that? Guy? Oh, the Molino two there? Yeah. Molino two. Yeah. And no, I haven't heard anything as far as like them actually catching anybody, but uh, yeah, I'm up on the Tonto, Nice. but yeah, I've not, I've not heard any updates on it yet. God, man. Play, play dumb games. You win stupid prizes. I hope they catch that guy. Yeah, you know, it's nothing new. I think our district, I'm on the Mesa Ranger district and our district comprise like most of our fires, especially this time of year before the forest goes into restrictions, most of our fires come from the shooting pits. So, and then, you know, at the end of the day when they think they're about to leave, filling the fridges at 10 or 8 and shooting and shooting it, blowing it up and then taking off. <laughs> so people, people play dumb games, man. Oh yeah. And I don't know if anybody's seen like the horror stories of Tannerite, but holy shit, man, that isn't, it isn't explosive. Like if, if you know what you're doing, fine, go try it out. Just don't overdo it because I've seen people like blow up refrigerators and get smacked by the door or blow up a lawnmower. There's like a famous video out there on uh, YouTube where this dude like literally takes some shrapnel and it cuts his leg clean off from a blowing up a riding lawnmower. It's like, don't do dumb shit. Oh, it's, yeah, it's nasty. Yeah. Jeez. Like the fire is really the least of the, the concern. Yeah. But common sense dictates you're not going to shoot off dragon's breath rounds into, you know, dry grass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Common sense. Yeah. But not so, not so common. Not so common. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely the bulk of our, of our fires. We actually had one. Things are starting to move here, starting to dry out more. It's been colder than it has in the, has been in the past, but. Things are starting to move around a little bit. We had a little 10 acre one that uh, the grass is definitely taken. I think the brush will be available here soon. So it's looking like it's going to be pretty busy. 
Yeah, well, hopefully it's not like hyper destructive. I was down in your neck of the woods, kind of. Uh, I was on Apache Sick Graves in 2011 during, uh, was that the Willow, Wallow, Wallow Fire? The Wallow yeah, Fire. Yeah, the Wallow. That was some gnarly shit, man. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it doesn't have another repeat of that that year. Yeah, we had one beyond the district. We had the Bush Fire in 2020, which is about 200,000 acres. And that, I mean, where that, you know, the whole scar from that's filled in with pretty tall grass. So we're looking at a lot of grass fires in that area this year, but you know, obviously the, the heavies are, aren't uh, growing back or anything. So it shouldn't be, shouldn't be too crazy, but we will see. So all the native heavies have gotten taken out by that previous historical fire. Yeah. Yeah. Still hasn't come back. And then when was that? That was in 2020, 2020. Okay. And that was started by a, a vehicle that parked in the brush after overheating. See dumb stuff. Don't do dumb yeah. stuff. I mean, a lot of people probably don't consciously think about that or like the regen on their diesel. Yeah, no, we get, I think, like I said, the most common stuff is shooting pits because we got a lot of shooting pits in the district and then chains, you know, people dragging chains by the highway. And we have a busy highway that goes through the middle running up to Payson. So folks coming down after trying to cool off for the weekend, they're coming back down on Sundays or yeah, the salt river. either going up on Fridays or coming down on Sundays. You know, they, uh, they drag chains on the way up and down. So what is that? The salt river? That highway? Um, the salt river. So there's the salt that's runs in our district and the birdie that runs on Cape Creek. Okay. Um, the, the 87 highway is the one that kind of cuts up our district, cuts right up the middle, heads up north toward Payson. And you use that to get up to Sholo or you can use it to get up to the roundabout way to get up to Flagstaff too. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm not too much, uh, not too familiar with too much of region three. I've only been there a handful of times, but mm-hmm. not enough to know the roadways or anything like that. So yeah. yeah. Light and flashy. That's what it is here. So it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Fun, fun and fast it's desert fires. I'm a, I mean, I'm a region four guy. That's like where my heart lies. So everything up here rips and quits in like three days and then it's off to the next one, but you get a good lightning bus and you're getting your ass kicked for quite a few days and it's fun, man. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to do IAs, especially from the air. If you're on a helicopter module. Yeah, for sure. Our, our, we're pretty heavy on ice. So I'm on an engine. I've been, this my, to, did the two seasons in 19 and 20, then like took that gap to go up to Alaska for a couple of years and then came back down and work on an engine right now. But the IA stuff here, yeah, I mean, it's fun. You know, you get night fires all the time too, when things are busy. And then down, down here in our district, we basically, our season goes from about right now until um, when monsoon hit, which could be, you know, late July, early August. And then we get like a peppering of dry lightning. And then once the rains come, then it's pretty much over for us. Yeah. Then it's off to the races in other uh, regions. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get ordered up to California or Montana and stuff like that. So that doesn't sound like a bad gig at all, man. But- no, man, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. It's addicting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like that adrenaline high that you constantly keep chasing. And uh, I think that's what keeps yeah. people coming back. Cause it ain't for the damn yeah. pay. I can tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's definitely not the, it's not the pay. <laughs> no, paid in sunsets. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like, uh, what's, what's your story? What's, what's your background? Like you obviously are going to university of Alaska for, uh, being, becoming a dietitian. So that's, you got that as well. And you're also a health, uh, or sorry, a, a nutrition coach. Mm-hmm. So yeah, dive into it, man. Tell us about you. Yeah. So I'm still, so I'm still pretty young. I just turned 26 and I graduated high school in 2015. Um, so 10 days after that, I enlisted in the Marine Corps as an infantryman. So I've kind of always just had like that, that desire to be underpaid and have a job that kind of puts me all over the place doing weird things. So I, uh, so I, I left for boot camp 10 days after graduating. Um, I said I was in the infantry did a couple of deployments and loved it, man. You know, it's, it's real similar to crew life where, 
you walk constantly all day long for weeks on end. You come back for a couple of days, party it up, and then you head back out to the field or you, you know, you get paid to shoot stuff and blow stuff up and travel the world with your friends and do cool things, man. So that's pretty much what I spent the four years doing. Um, the last two years of the enlistment though. So I was in for four years. I was 2015 to 2019. And the last two years I essentially spent as a logistics chief. Um, so in the infantry, we don't have specific, we don't have people that, that do all those, that stuff for us. Like, like you have anything, like a, so we got to do it. We're an officer. Yeah. We don't have, like we have a, a battalion. Um, but there's like a, like we have logistics and stuff in the battalion, but when it comes to the company, like of 120 guys, we don't have individual logistics folks or cooks or anything like to do that stuff for us. So we have um, people like me, that was like my collateral duty for last year. So I did all my infantry stuff, but I also was this logistics chief in charge of getting all the food and water and transportation set up between, you know, different countries and getting all the gear from country to country and all this other stuff. So a lot of moving parts and a lot of cool networking experiences, whatnot. So I let, spent the last two years of my contract doing that. Um, and then toward the end of it, I just, I knew I was going to get out. I knew I didn't want to be a Marine forever. Um, and I was trying to figure out what to do. And I remembered back. So my family owned, uh, my aunt, uncle, my aunt and uncles owned homes and properties up in Yarnell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, back in 2013, obviously that whole thing happened. And that was when I became familiar with who wildland firefighters were. At the time, I was already, you know, geared toward being a Marine. So that was kind of already my path. But when I was getting at the end of my contract, I remembered, I was like, you know, that that experience of coming back into town and seeing everything that had happened and just like that, that, you know, how much work I saw that was put into it on the wildland firefighter side, that's when I became familiar with it. Um, And so I was like, you know, why don't I go give that a shot? So I reached out to um, some folks here in Region 3. I think I emailed, you know, I, I went on the the forest service website. And I just started emailing people. Just, I was like emailing a bunch of soup, soups copy, and different paste, crews and stuff like that. Yeah. I was just emailing a bunch of guys and stuff like, Hey, I'm getting out of the Marine Corps soon. Do you guys have any spots open? Like, what do I got to do to get a job with you? Um, and I ended up wanting to kind of, so I'm from Gilbert, Arizona, mm-hmm. and I wanted to kind of stay somewhere close by cause I hadn't been around for a few years. And, uh, so I ended up one of the soups who doesn't hire rookies sent my info to an engine in Mesa and they picked me up on a uh, type six down here. So oh, yeah. I got picked up down here. I got out on April 26th of 2019, which is a Friday. And then I started here on the 29th, the following Monday. Oh, no shit. I took a weekend off. And then I started down here with the season. Damn. Um, and man, it was like the best transition ever from being out of the military to jumping straight into something that like, again, I was, oh man, this is cool. You know, I have a sense of purpose and it's kind of the same thing. I just like walk around with a, you know, a pack and a bladder bag and I, put fire out. So it's kind of similar. I walk around all day and, you know, sweat a lot and don't get paid very much, but it's enjoyable. So, nice. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, so I, I, uh, I came down here in 19 to, to that type six and really loved it. Loved the season came back in 20. And then, uh, I think we were talking about it before, but I came back in 20, did that season and then decided I wanted to be an astronaut kind of long-term. There's a long story <laughs> behind that, but I, I was drunk around a campfire. We were talking about space and, I was just like, well, it'd be cool to go. And I just decided that I wanted to do that. Um, so I <laughs> left, left everything and left fire and went back to school and, uh, moved to Alaska where, um, I think I started geological engineering, but then through the, you know, through working my way through what I actually want to do, I ended up in dietetics. Cause I was like looking back on my career as a Marine and a firefighter, realizing that I had never actually cared about what I ate. And then I just, really, you know, 
saw how important it was and how much of an impact it had. So, yeah, I mean, I really got into it there. And then I also, another thing that did it, and again, the random thing I was doing, I'm a dog musher in Alaska. Oh yeah. Um, So I race dogs and uh, I have a friend who was working on their nutrition too. And one of his thesis like the mushing team, the mushing dogs. Yeah. Nutrition. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is funny, like there's, um, there's actually a tie between sled dogs and wildland firefighters. And I ended up finding it recently, but my buddy, you know, he's doing his research on, um, so they have, I think he had 130 dogs in his kennel at the time. So they have a lot of dogs Mm -hmm. and they were doing this research on, you know, giving dogs blueberries and what do the antioxidants do when they're exposed to PM 2.5. So wildfire smoke. Yeah. And, you know, they found that exercise and blueberries essentially helped with, you know, their, reducing oxidative stress and whatnot um, no shit. from the smoke. So it's kind of a loop. There was a connection there. Um, and I had reached out to somebody who actually worked and I didn't know this at the time, but she worked in Missoula for NTDP with the forest service. Her name is Dr. Carla Cox. I had reached out to her about sled dogs and we were talking about it because she's a dietitian and we were bouncing stuff back and forth. And I was trying to work with sled dogs and mushers at the time. And, uh, Fast forward to, I decided to leave Alaska and move back to Arizona to work with firefighters and nutrition in you know this past year. And I'm going through the Forest Service publications. And in 2000, I want to say it was 2006, she and a guy named Dr. Brian Sharkey published the Wildland Firefighter Nutrition Guide, essentially, on the Forest Service website. Mm-hmm. So this lady I was talking to about sled dogs ended up being also really big in wildland firefighter nutrition kind of set the the standards, so to speak, as far as what is expected to be served to wildland firefighters. Yeah. Yeah. And she actually, I mean, it was good information too, as far as the numbers going, you know, saying firefighters should be getting anywhere from 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilogram of protein, and they should be getting 4,900 to 7,000 calories a day, depending on activity levels and body weight and age and height and whatnot. Um, So the information was, was really good. It was just, older, you know, I just, I, it was the only thing I could really find on, at the time on the forest service website, but yeah, it was cool to see that connection kind of come back and fall into place as I came back down here for this. So that's right, man. Yeah. And that's, uh, just connecting sled dogs to wildland firefighters and the PM 2.5. So like PM 2.5, that's like the most harmful, uh, particulate matter that is kind of like cancerous or real hard to get rid of. Like, can you explain the t- PM 2.5s? Yeah, from what I understand about PM two point five, it's just kind of the baseline wildland fire smoke that we're exposed to. Like when when people say wildfire smoke, that's what they're referring to. Um, and so like, you know, I think that you know you can find the publication on the Forest Service website that talks about the different chemicals that are in it. But among other things, you know, I think there's seventy three different chemicals that are toxic to the human body in PM two point five, and one of those like acetone is in it too. Mm-hmm. So like there's all these harmful chemicals in it and it's not just, you know, this pleasant little campfire that people are breathing in. You know? And we've, we've, as an agency, like we, that's not my area of expertise, but we've come to understand that, you know, obviously breathing smoke is bad. It yeah. leads to cancer. So we've done a lot in the past few years to recognize firefighter wellness. So I think nutrition is just kind of a part of that like holistic bundle of things that we're trying to approach. Yeah. Another thing too, is it's a presumptive, uh, illness as well, like smoke inhalation and certain types of cancers. So that was just recently shit. That was last year. I want to say that that guy passed across, uh, legislature's legislation's hands and mm-hmm. actually, uh, put into law, which is pretty damn cool. Cause that's never happened before. Yeah. Like the IAFF has always had this like presumptive illness stuff going and we never did as far as wildland firefighters. So huge steps in the right direction, I think. But uh, yeah, anyways, bring it back to the point, the PM 2.5, that's more of like a catch-all term. 
Um, yeah, from what, and like I said, that's not my, you know, area of expertise. Um, that's definitely my, my buddy up there, Jake, his name is Jake Whitcup and his thesis is on, you know, that, that basically what the effects were on the sled dogs and everything, but even that stuff, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't specific to wildland firefighters and the individuals conducting the research, you know, there were some folks involved that weren't even that they were relating it to structure guys. You know, they were relating to individuals that they didn't think it applied to them because firefighters wore masks. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and obviously we don't, but the impression was that we did, you know, so there, it wasn't the, the research wasn't geared toward firefighters. It was solely geared toward dogs that are exposed to it in Alaska because they were racing them and they wanted to see kind of the damage that was done, um, in the off season. So, cause obviously the summer is the off season for racing dogs. So they wanted to see the damage that was being done if they're breathing in smoke pretty consistently. seems like a good analog. They're essentially, they are athletes, they're athlete dogs, mm -hmm. but we use, you know, animal substituted or I guess things that are an analogous to the human body, like a pig's a big one. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. mice. I mean, I mean, yeah, the way pigs bleed sense. is pretty similar. Like pig trauma is pretty similar to, to humans. Yeah. Yeah. Those things like that though, but we've been using animal, uh, analogs for uh, forever. So mm -hmm. just because it's a dog, it's kind of out of the ordinary. It doesn't, doesn't mean that data is any less valid. So right. Right. Yeah. From yeah, so it's, folks brings up cool questions too. So definitely like just kind of sparks and sparked my interest as well, obviously they're, you know, they're incredible athletes, man. I mean, you, oh, yeah. I think the highest, so VO2 max is essentially the volume of oxygen we get with every breath mm -hmm. and with sled dogs. Um, these are sprint dogs that I run and they run, you know, anywhere from, you know, the, the, the higher classes with the more dogs, the most amount of dogs, and they, they run from anywhere from 14 to 22 dogs at once. And they, uh, they'll run, the big race that we have the first two days is 20 miles and the last day is 27, but their VO2 max, you know, the highest ever recorded in a human was a Norwegian cross country skier, Bjorn Dolly. It was 96 was the number and the dogs average anywhere from 240 to 300. Holy shit. So they're, you know, three times more athletic than the most athletic human being that ever existed. Depending we use, you know, VO2 max as a, you know, a measure of athleticism, but they're, you know, they're, they're using, I mean, they're like mine, they run an average of about, you know, two minutes and 55 seconds per mile, you know, and they're, they're running and the winners of these races, you know, they'll run 20 miles in right about an hour, maybe a little less than an hour. Holy shit. So, yeah. and, and they're pulling a human yeah. in, of sled. Yeah. Yeah. They're so pulling a sled running through snow. There. Yeah. You know, so relatively nicely groomed trails for sprinters um, because the races aren't so long and they want to see how fast they can go, but it's, you know, they can run faster if they're not pulling a sled, you know, so they're pulling a sled and running, 20 miles an hour. So it's pretty, they're pretty impressive creatures. Yeah. yeah. Hauling ass wholesale. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Wish I had sprints like that, but <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. Sorry, dog. <laughs> so all of this stuff kind of led, you, you mentioned that, uh, the sled dogs and the blueberries and that kind of kind of led your interests and piqued your interests into nutrition. So let's talk nutrition, man. So you have worked with Brent Ruby. You worked with a couple of people over at NTDC. It's not MTDC anymore. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's NTDP. NTDP. So, yeah. Yeah. It's change of regime. Different terms. They're basically the nutrition people for the forest service. Gotcha. The, the, I say nutrition. They're the physiology and nutrition folks that, of the forest service. Okay. So like Dr. Brent Ruby is a PhD in exercise physiology. Yeah. Um, but he also has worked plenty in nutrition. That's what his research is in as well. So. Gotcha. So you worked with all these people and this is kind of like your passion project and you've decided to make an education out of it. And you're also trying to use this to quite literally go into space, which is pretty freaking cool. 
So what is like your definition of nutrition? I know that's kind of a loaded and broad topic, but mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of related to firefighters, right? Uh, everybody bitches about the sack lunches that we get, the chow that we get from the caterers. I mean, it's, let's just face it, man, it's, it's garbage. So what's your ideal state here and why? Ideally for me, addressing nutrition with firefighters is what we need to be doing is addressing the year as a whole and talking about something we call periodization, which is essentially attacking nutrition in the seasons of life. So we have different seasons that we're in. Obviously the fire season is what we consider the in season. And then we roll into October to be the post season. And then we have the entire off season and then we have the preseason. So nutrition and exercise work the same way. So it's all periodization. It's all trying to periodize how we eat food. So nutrition to me is a sustainable way of, of, fueling yourself in the, you know, in your life. So how can you fuel yourself sustainably for the rest of your life? And so with firefighters specific, like, yes, you know, we'd love perfect nutrition on incidents and stuff like that. Like I, that's one of the things that we're addressing. So we're, what I'm trying to address are two, two things. The first thing is policy. We want to address what the policy states as far as what is required from caterers. And it's not, it's not horrible. Um, like it's, and it's not bad. Like there have been, there's been a lot of work that's been done to the policy and it does specify, you know, giving us a certain amount of meat, um, giving us a certain amount of carbohydrates and everything and meeting calorie counts. And they did do a study back in 2018. I believe it's Dr. Alexander March that did the study where they sent 125 individuals out to, um, incidents. And I actually, I mean, we, I've talked with people who have been a part of this study, different crews and whatnot, different, um, foremans and superintendents that were part of the research. And they sent 125 individuals out. 86 of those, they actually use the information from. And what they did is they tracked food on incidents with the crews. So they went with the crews, they measured their food, they measured their exercise, their activity and everything to calculate their total daily energy expenditure. So essentially how much energy they're spending every day. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they did all this research and all this observation. And it came back and it said that they actually are, we're being given the right amount of nutrients as far as calories go, as far as macronutrients go. The, the quantities are there. And so for me, the next step sounds like it's, it's, it's the quality. So addressing one thing at a time, you know, what can we do to improve? For example, my goal is to address the, and observe what the quality of protein is being fed to firefighters on cater on incidents, you know, type one and two incidents with caterers involved. What's the quality of the protein. And then what can we do to fix the protein? And it's as much as I would love to say, yeah, we need to fix, you know, vitamin C and biotin and like all these other things that, you know, we could fix. Let's focus on one thing at a time. What can we do to fix the quality of protein? So that's, that's a policy thing. Um, like what can we do to, to revise the policy to include, you know, grass fed beef or something like that. And and we can go into why that's important. Can we write policy? uh, It's not just like, I'm not just throwing grass fed beef out there. Um, (laughs) like, um, you know, I understand what that sounds like, Uh, but grass fed beef is, it's essentially a lot lower in omega sixes than omega threes. It's very, um, it just promotes anti-inflammation and not inflammation. So grass fed beef is fantastic. There's it's more than just, you know, grain, it's more than just grain versus grass and this whole argument and whatnot. But, but that's an example of one of the things we could require is, Hey, in the dinner, you know, three nights a week, we require some meal with four ounces per firefighter of grass fed beef. Like that could be an example of a like low hanging fruit in there. pretty much. What's that? It's like low hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, and and it's we, just, you know, how do we direct policy to get rid of the fucking meat wad sandwich? There's, there's <laughs> like something the, right there. The, the, the rainbow the beef, purple roast beef that you get. 
Yeah, I think <laughs> it's, I think it's roast beef, beef the mystery meat. Yeah, yeah, like that's another one of those things that, and it, it it's frustrating, and I know it's frustrating to like let's say let's say a food unit leader is listening to this, and they're like, well, that's what I order, and that's what I can order, and I'm doing my best to provide that for the firefighters. And it's like, like we talked about earlier, the problem it's not a people problem. Like the people that are involved in this whole thing, they all care. You know, the people that are making the lunches, the people that are distributing the lunches all the volunteers that are included, the logistics to get the meals to the firefighters, everything that's going on is done by people that care about firefighters. You know, so it's not, it's not a people problem. It's just a, like I said, it's a policy thing. And it's also an education portion, which is the second thing that I'm trying to work on is provide or create a program that essentially educates firefighters and, and logistics teams and food unit leaders and ordering managers, everything. And it educates them on, what good nutrition is, you know, it's not just, yeah, like, like we talked about, you know, not a lot of people know that getting your guys like donuts and pancakes and stuff like that in the morning, which pancakes is actually included in the, uh, in the ordering (laughs) specifications as as being required in breakfast. I believe I have it pulled up here. Yeah. They require three to four ounces of pancakes, French toast or waffles. No shit. That's a a part of the requirement for the specifications for the caterer. Yeah. Yeah. That's in. Page, you know, if anyone is listening and wants to look it up, it's it's D D point one point seven of the uh, specifications for the catering done in 2021. That new contract that was released. If you don't mind um, sending so, me a PDF or something like that, I could attach oh, yeah, it in yeah, the absolutely. show notes, and that way people yeah. can like read through the contract mm-hmm. and like see what the requirements are. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it's not like I said, it's it's pretty impressive as far as like actually accounting for the nutrients and getting guys like the fact that they went as far as to get to make sure they're getting the right amount of calories and macronutrients. Like there was a lot of work that was done to do that. And there was a lot of work that went into revising policy to make that stuff happen. And again, you know, I'm just about, you know, Dr. Ruby's been doing this for 25 plus years. Now, what, now what can we do to kind of push it further? Um, And again, that second portion is the education piece. So not only are we trying to push research, we're trying to bridge the gap between research and firefighters. So we're trying to take what they've done for the past couple of decades and then digest it, you know, in a way that makes sense to the firefighter, give it to them. And then they can actually look at that and say, oh, that's how much protein I need to eat. Oh, like these are the micronutrients I need. This is what they do, you know, giving them something actionable. And then even further, how should they eat in the off season? Because we don't spend most of our time on incidents. You know, we don't, we spend most of our life off of incidents, you know, probably I would venture to say 80 to 90% of our year is spent away from fire incidents. So how are we eating outside of that? And the analogy, I think that the best analogy I've heard is comparing it to money. So if you have, let's say you have a big expense coming up, you, you want to go on a big vacation. You know, you want to take this big vacation. It requires a lot of money, but it's in two years from now. Mm-hmm. You're going to start saving up for that, right? You're going to start saving up. You're going to budget. You're going to create these good habits because it's important to you. So you're going to create good habits to save money and prepare so by the time it comes, you can afford to take that vacation and yeah. it might still cost you money, but you can afford to take it because you've been, been preparing for it. Yeah, you and the same thing is true for food. You know, like we have the whole off season and the preseason to prepare. So we don't just want to go into the season saying, ah, you know, screw it. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be trash. My nutrition is going to be trash anyway. I might as well not care about it. No, like we want to be proactive about it. We want to budget for the season. So we want to have good habits and to establish a good nutrition prior to that. So by the time the season hits, we can at least afford 
to go overboard a little bit and kind of follow up, fall off the wagon, I guess a little bit fall off the wagon. Uh, for lack of a better, you know, for lack of a better phrase, but it's kind of the same thing as money, you know, and that's the easiest way I put it to people. I gotcha. You know, I think there's also a, uh, I mean, besides like the actual nutrition and the education component of it and kind of changing and directing policy, I'm very, very well aware of the fact of the cost utility and the, uh, shelf life utility mm-hmm. of some of the stuff that they feed us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, do you see a, a way around some of those things? Cause I'm trying to wrap my head around that. And I just don't know, obviously you're a professional in this, uh, this industry, this, uh, this subject matter, you're the subject matter expert. Like how do we address like the, the processed foods that have like an infinite shelf life, like no expiration date? Yeah. I think, you know, when I, I w- I've been talking to some hotshot crews for the past you know month and trying to see, because during COVID, a lot of stuff changed. Oh yeah. Obviously like a lot was impacted, but one of the things that, and I've spoken to these crews and they said, you know, one of the things that we loved was that they were able to get us. And this doesn't really go for places like Alaska where you have to have food flown into you and stuff like that. But for the majority of places, the logistics teams were doing a good job of getting, you know, hot, you know, like shit, like food and stuff to the guys that wasn't, they weren't MREs or anything like that. So they, they showed at least, and it might not have been done everywhere, but they showed at least that it's possible to get food from camp to fire to, you know, crews that are spiked out on the line. Um, and they showed that they can still do that to avoid using, you know, to avoid MREs whenever we can. So I don't think as, you know, personally, I don't have the expertise to go in and, and, and reinvent the wheel with MREs, you know, and create like a new, you know, we could say that natural preservatives work really well, like clothes are a good natural preservative. And like that could be used for meats, but to say that we can go in and like, I can go in and create a new MRE right now. Like I just can't do it. Yeah. So instead of doing that, I think it's addressing the logistics and saying it is possible because we've done it to get food to the guys out on the line. But like, let's try to, let's see if we can continue to do that outside of COVID. So that's kind of the logistics piece. The money piece is where the policy stuff kind of, I, I use that term broadly. I say policy. Um, so I've been working with, Max Alonzo with uh, NFFE, mm-hmm. so our, our, you know, the union for us. And right. uh, Max has been awesome. And they've been doing all kinds of work in Washington, going out and lobbying. I, I know that one of my buddies is out here on a, he's a close by on Hotshot Crew and he's been going out and lobbying with them as well. And just addressing some of the stuff that's coming down the pipe and whatnot. So all the new, all the new, or that new bill that's uh, coming across that they're, oh, they're the trying to get through right pay, now. The budget, yeah. presidential, yeah. Pe- presidential for budget for fiscal year. Yeah. 2024. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they've been lobbying, trying to make sure that that gets passed and they've been doing all kinds of work. So he's got a foot in the door and he has, you know, he has their ear mm-hmm. and that's, that's the important thing is you have someone with a foot in the door and you have someone that has their attention. And so I'm working with him to, you know, since we have the attention right now, it's the best time to bring this stuff up. And so we're taking all the research, we're compiling it all. And we're just, what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do is, is identify the importance of nutrition for firefighters and just make it blatantly obvious because you talk to crews and talk to firefighters. We're all very receptive of good nutrition. Like we all know that it matters. Like it's very obvious to us. Yeah, but you wouldn't put 87 octane in a fucking Ferrari though. That's the same thing, you know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's obvious to us, you know, it's obvious to the folks that are on the line or the folks that understand the job that nutrition is important. But for those on the outside, it's not as obvious. And so taking that information and presenting it in a way that makes it makes it understandably obvious to them is probably the best bet at getting us more financing to do that. So are we are we there yet? No. Do they understand how difficult it is? No. 
do they understand the nutrition? No, but we're working on it. And we've seen over the past two years, you know, like we've seen that increase in, in pay. We've seen that there is an interest in helping. And so right now, while the momentum is there, we're trying to take advantage of it. So that's, like I said, that's, that's the purpose behind what we're doing right now. So it's pretty cool. No, it's definitely hard to move or jump onto a moving train, so to speak. But it's, if you, if the window is there and you can catch that train by all means, like Mm -hmm. now is the time to do it. Cause we don't know what the next four, eight years or whatever that looks like. I don't have a crystal ball, but we don't know what it's going to look like. So hopefully we can get something, you know, passed up the chain and back down the line to something digestible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Nutrition joke. We love it. Days, uh, digestible for the boots on the ground. I mean, mm-hmm. even something like a handy dandy, like an, uh, like, I don't know, like an IRPG for nutrition per se, like something yeah. as simple as that was guidelines that, and also weaving these new uh, discoveries and this research into policy. That's, that's mm-hmm. a critical component of it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we have, so right, you know, down here, what I'm working on locally is, we get a lot of out of area resources once severity hits for us. Yeah. So we have a lot of folks come from, you know, Montana or California. Um, like we have folks here right now from California and New Mexico um, and Northern Arizona that are here. And what we have for them is we have, obviously they can come to the desert and we can tell them all we want. Yeah. Drink more water. It's hot outside. <laughs> obviously it's hot outside. They should be drinking more water, but like how much water do you drink? How many, you know, how many milligrams of sodium do you consume? So when, when we're talking about water, the, the research says that, you know, this is Dr. Brent Ruby's research says that we expend anywhere from six to 10 liters of water every day when we're vigorously working like on the line. So that's anywhere from a gallon and a half to what is that? Two gallon or over two gallons of water. So two, a gallon and a half to two gallon and two and a half gallons of water, right? Right around there. Mm-hmm. Six to 10 liters. Cause we don't use the metric system here. Um, yeah. So six <laughs> to a lot 10, of sense if we did and just say, yeah, <laughs> I know everything's in liters and kilograms and whatnot. So I, I think I'll just end up making a conversion for everybody just to make it easy, but just make like a little, it, like so learning your yeah. multiplication tables in high school or yeah. elementary school rather. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact, your weight in kilograms, you just divide your weight in pounds, divide it by 2.2. So that's your weight in kilograms. See, um, and that's how you do all of nutrition ends up being in usually like all your macros and stuff are in, or your micronutrients or your macronutrients, they're in grams per kilogram or they're in milligrams or micrograms. They're not in anything that looks like you should even know what it is. So <laughs> you need one teaspoon of MTC oil and whatever. Yeah. yeah. Vitamin C. Yeah. So we, but we do, you know, what we do for the, the out of area resources that come in um, is we will be given out, especially when it gets busy. What we're doing is I created like a, essentially just a quick little checklist of, Hey, here's the amount of water you should be drinking. Here's the amount of sodium you should be drinking, which for firefighters that are on incidents, I think, it, yeah. So the, the, they were getting on incidents, they were getting around 6,000 milligrams of sodium a day just from food, mm-hmm. which is fine. You know, the recommended intake is 1500 for firefighters. That is a lot more like it needs to be a lot more. You can safely consume five to 6,000 and be completely fine. Yeah. You're not going to have hypertension or anything like that. So getting these guys done, like that's the education portion though. You know, well, so what about the other things, other electrolytes like potassium and, uh, mm-hmm. all, what is it? Pot- potassium, magnesium is kind of one of them too. Um, yeah. So it's sodium, potassium, chloride, magnesium is a little bit of it, but it's mainly sodium and potassium because mm-hmm. that is, you know, what, what the intestines use to absorb water essentially are, you know, mainly sodium and potassium. So sodium, you know, we're looking at, you can, I would tell, you know, if you're only getting, and, and that comes to the individual, like tracking food and understanding where you are. But if you're only getting about, you know, 1500 to 2000 milligrams and you feel like you're dehydrated, even though you're drinking a lot of water, 
you're probably deficient in sodium. Mm -hmm. So up that by a thousand or 2000 and see how you feel. And then go up to, you know, anywhere from four to 6,000. And again, all that stuff is it's very variable when you're talking, it's very individual when you're talking about nutrition. So it comes down to the, you know, if you're listening to this and you're wondering about your nutrition, it's going to come down to you as an individual, it's going to depend on you. So your, your biofeedback is what we call it. You know, the cotton mouth you get, or, you know, your, your digestion and your stools and whatnot, like what that looks like. Or you for just you. feel like you're dragging ass. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if your energy is crazy low and you constantly feel, you know, like you're thirsty, even though you drink enough water, chances are you need more sodium and potassium. Mm -hmm. Potassium can be a little bit, I'd say it's a little bit tougher to get enough, you know, so that's why I have a list of things that I can't, I mean, I'm not a dietitian, so I can't legally say you should, you need to drink this or this, but I can give recommendations. Not, but I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm not either. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but I'm, <laughs> <Don't tell them. laughs> I'm in, in, independent. So, I mean, something from my experience so that would help me out is uh, something called noon. They're like little vials mm -hmm. and like you just drop one of those things in your canteen and you're dragging ass. Whenever it felt like I was dragging ass or like I felt like I was super dehydrated, even though I was chugging water, I'd pop one of those mm -hmm. things in my canteen and pound that thing. And holy shit, it's great. It's better than Gatorade. Not a lot of sugar, but it worked. Yeah, for me. I. Yeah, absolutely. They're easy and you can carry them in your pack and they don't go bad. Yep. You know, I, I carry around a little, like a bag of pink salt, pink Himalayan salt mm -hmm. and a teaspoon of that. I, I want to say is about, it's about 1600 milligrams of sodium. So the problem with a lot of these, and I won't name drop anybody specifically, but the problem with a lot of the electrolyte mixes is that they don't have enough sodium. Mm -hmm. Like they have very minimal amounts. And I think the most I've seen in one is a thousand, but to buy that particular brand, it's, I think it's 45 bucks for a 16 pack. Whereas you can go to the store and get a thing of pink Himalayan salt for a few bucks and a thing of Mio uh, and squirt Mio in your drink and put some Himalayan salt in there and you have 1600 milligrams of sodium right there. And it was significantly cheaper. So for, yeah. you know, cause obviously we get paid so much. Uh, <laughs> so I think we're all about cheap circumvention of, of, uh, expensive things. Yeah. And I know which ones you're talking about too. Actually, uh, I reached out to those guys and, uh, they ended up sending me cause I mentioned them or something like that. Cause I thought it was like, I don't know. I thought that was like, I bought, a, I bought some and they sent me a mm -hmm. couple of them. So it was a uh, element. They're really expensive yeah. though, but they're, yeah. they're good. They don't taste like shit either, but then, I am not mm -hmm. sponsored by those guys. That's not a paid thing. I'm not getting paid for that or the noon thing. Neither. Yeah, no, you. absolutely. <laughs> Neither are yeah, you. So. Yeah. So that, that again, I think they're, they're, they're good because they have a, you know, they have a thousand milligrams of sodium, yep. but you know, when you're not getting paid very much and like, if we could, you know, if that's something that, you know, I, I'm looking into that as well as how do we get, you know, maybe we get some sort of sponsorship or, or maybe guys are allowed to purchase that with purchase cards, or, you know, like, like maybe that's form, something even. that we can do you know, like what kind of federal funds go into maybe that, that could be one of the things that we fund is proper electrolyte mixes and stuff like that. So guys can have it on their packs instead of carrying around, you know, a Ziploc bag of, of salt, yeah. um, even though it works pretty similar. And then potassium outside of that, you know, you're looking at stuff like a lot of, you know, bananas or um, like coconut water is incredibly high in potassium. So finding that stuff that, and that's why I like to hear from crews and people, because like you said, you, you yourself just had a, a, your personal experience, something that personally helped you. And so something that I'm trying to work on right now is getting a survey and I'm just trying to make contacts right now and make, try to network as much as possible and get as many people from as many regions on board. Because what I'm trying to do is, is essentially create, um, and we'll probably do it over Facebook is where we'll start a Facebook forum that will be accessible to every wildland firefighter that can get into it. And it's just going to be a big forum on nutrition and holistic like wellness, essentially. And I say holistic wellness loosely, 
that meaning stuff that you can do yourself to improve your your well-being and the well-being of your crew. So creating a central location, which there actually is one from the Forest Service and Dr. Ruby worked on it. Um, it's called theblackperformance.com. I don't know if you've heard of it. I've actually never even heard of it until you it's, just mentioned it. Yeah. So it's called theblackperformance.com. Um, and it has, or I'm sorry, theblackperformance.net. And it has a lot of like, there's, it's, it's essentially the shell of what we're trying to do. It's got, it gives the energy demands of firefighters and the proper nutrition and, and whatnot. Um, but it's just, it's not complete mm-hmm. uh, because the interest in funding, I, from what I understand, it just did not go the way that they thought it would. Oh, so I, just, I don't, was it adoption I don't or was it, it funding? Was that, was it adoption or funding? I believe it was funding. Gotcha. Don't quote me on it. Cause I'm not sure I'd have to talk to him again about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, the idea behind it is fantastic. You know, get, get a central location that we can all get together and look and see, Oh, like this is what I should be doing. Giving us a number. Because if you go and look at stuff right now, you can't find the proper protein intakes for a wildland firefighter <laughs> anywhere else, except for his research. It's just bro like, science pretty much for the, for the most part out yeah. there. Like you tell a wildland firefighter, ask them, ask anybody. Um, and they shouldn't know the answer because they, who like none of us have the time to go out and do this on our own. You know, like we work like going into severity, I work six tens on an engine and then, you know, on an engine, like I'll get 800, 800 hours of overtime in my, you know, like here this season. And then you're talking about hotshot crews that have a thousand to 1200 hours of overtime. And you look at that and you're like, nobody has time to go <laughs> out got time for this. <laughs> no, like not at all. We can't expect them to either. No. So go ask them how much car, how many carbohydrates they should be eating every day. And they'll probably say like, I don't know, maybe, maybe 250 to 300. But they really should during the season, it should be depending on your age, height, weight um, and your independent like individual factors. You know, it should be anywhere from like 480 to 600 grams of carbs, you know, like a lot. Yeah, that's a ton. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. And if you're not used to eating that much, like you're going to look at that and say, absolutely not. <laughs> what do you mean so, put 600 grams <laughs> of sugar? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So that again, that's the importance of having that location and having a year round, like a year round um, place to go to. And having a year-long plan and not just looking at stuff as, you know, the fire season. What are you doing outside of fire season? Because you can work up to that amount. Like I personally, I'm I'm a small dude. Like I'm five, seven, 175 pounds, you know, I'm 26 years old, and I'm eating, you know, 480 grams of carbs right now. Yeah. And I don't gain or lose weight. But that's because of what I've been doing in the past six months to prepare for the fire season. And, you know, I've seen everything improve personally. And with the guys around, like you talk, we talk to you guys on my crew and, you know, we talk through what they eat for breakfast and dinner and stuff like that. And I work with them and of course, and they'll see an immediate, like a two minute decrease in their hike time up to one of the hikes that we time. Oh no, sure. Literally it, it, one of our guys had a breakfast of oats and a banana and he saw his time decrease by two minutes. So the next time we were like, Hey, what did you eat for dinner? And we talked about his dinner and getting the complex carbs in like rice and potatoes and stuff like that in for dinner. And he saw another 30 seconds go off his time. And again, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. But the general, the, the point of that is to say that there's going to be improvements when you work on nutrition. And again, we know that. So where can you find the stuff to actually help yourself? So that's what we're trying to develop is like a central location for all that. No shit. So that's, that's, that's powerful tools too. I mean, cause that's another thing too, is like, it, as long as like the awareness is out there, cause I just had another, uh, a health coach, health and nutrition coach on the show as well, um, by the name of Paul. And he's got some cool, he's more of the meat based kind of, uh, meat centric diet. Mm-hmm. Not like, not like, uh, what is it? Not uh, carnivore, not but, carnivore, but yeah. yeah, protein based. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he was saying a lot of the same things. It's like the, the problem is, is like, he's, he's a private guy and you're a private uh, practitioner. Right. So he takes on clients and does like individualized stuff for these, for his clients. Right. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is like the baseline information is relatively standardized, but it's really nowhere to be found at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. So to have something that's like easy to digest one and understand by, by what I mean by digest, I just understand it. Um, to have it all centralized in one location and then kind of custom tailor it based off of your biofeedback. That's, that's good shit, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, that, that's the goal of, and essentially it's taking what all of this, like I'm trying to do through the agency and I, I'd love to, to provide it through the agency. So that's the goal, you know, create a program within the agency that everybody has access to mm-hmm. that they don't have to go pay for because as a coach, you know, like we're not, we're not cheap. You know, and and that's because I spend, you know, I I don't take on a lot of clients and I'm not working right now. I don't, I'm not doing any of that. And I'm not going to shovel anything out there because I'm not doing, I'm solely focused on fire and nutrition and doing this. Um, But when I was working with clients, it was, you know, they were paying me quite a bit of money to work with me because it's, I'm giving, I mean, you're giving some of the gift of like health and longevity though. That's the thing though. Why wouldn't you invest in yourself? It's more than just food. Yeah. 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 It's more than just food. It's how's your sleep? when you can get it, what can we do to improve your sleep? How are you managing stress? You know, and that's something that the agency has been really big on the past couple of years has been mental health, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. And we've seen a lot of, you know, leaps and bounds in mental health in the last couple of years. Um, and so understanding also that nutrition, and that's one of the ways that we've been framing it to kind of get some buy-in too, is nutrition has a huge impact on your mental health. Oh yeah. Like you ask somebody, I mean, the, the amount of impact it has on your hormones is substantial. And you just generally like, you just feel good when you're eating well, you're eating well, you feel good. And generally life is better. So when life is better, stress is lower and us as firefighters, our stress is jacked up. You know, our cortisol is a mess. And so what can we do to manage that? And again, it's, it's, it's stuff outside of food. I don't work with food with my clients probably for the first, usually two months because we're addressing, you know, you give yourself four hours to sleep every night, start giving yourself six every night. Um, and then we'll come back to it in a couple of weeks when you do that every day, you know, are you drinking, how much water are you drinking? Let's drink a little bit more. And then we work our way up to these things. And eventually once we have a good baseline of, you know, sleep and stress mitigation and water intake, then we can say, all right, now let's focus on your food. Um, and again, playing the long-term with firefighters is, is also important. So looking at guys, if you're, you know, if you're listening to this now, it's, yeah, you can make these immediate improvements. You can start eating more food, eating more protein, eating more carbs. I say more and, you know, I can give specific numbers like anywhere from, and I would say 1.8 grams per kilogram of protein. So you take your body weight divided by 2.2. That's your weight in kilograms. You, you multiply that by 1.8 and that's the amount of protein you should be getting every day. If you're nowhere near that, like just start incrementally increasing it as you go week by week, just kind of work up to that dial number. Up. Yeah. 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 Don't overload yourself right away. Protein is very satiating. and makes you full pretty quickly. Yes. So don't, you know, overload right away, but that's, that would be the goal for you is to get to that number. And then carbs too, you know, carbs are, I would say, I would say it's very, they're very individual, you know, they, they vary, but I would say if you're having, you know, I can, uh, I could say for me personally, I, my TDEE, so how much energy I expend in the fire season is right around 4,800 calories. Of that, I want about 50 to 55% in carbohydrates. Um, and that's, you know, and again, I, I'll, I'll have something, 
And I can give that to you if you want. I can create something, just a little spreadsheet of this is how you calculate stuff. But your calories anywhere from 50 to 55% of those calories should be from carbohydrates. And that looks like that's a lot. You know, for me, that's, I would say that's about 480 right now is what I'm at. It's anywhere from 460 to 480 grams of carbs. So if you're no, again, if you're nowhere near that, just incrementally work your way up. Um, and yeah, so it's just about educating and, and giving guys actionable things to work on. Here's another thing for, uh, for a question for you, I guess, is like s- small dudes like me. I'm only five, eight. I weigh buck 55, right? You mm-hmm. said you're five, seven and weigh 170, right? Yeah. So small dudes like us, we have a hard time. At least me, I have a hard time just packing in food. And when you mm-hmm. say something like 4,000 or 4,800 calories, that's a lot of fucking food. food. That is yeah. a lot. So I know there's like kind of some cheats to that, of course. I mean, you know, you know, supplement with, uh, I don't know, like a protein drink or weight gainer, but as far as like real food and doing it, the, the, the real food method, that's a lot, man. Do you get any tips and mm-hmm. tricks for people to just like pile it on real food, not supplements, not the cheap. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I try to steer clear of supplements. Um, as far as getting more food, that amount of food, you know, for the firefighter is the food you need when you're, let's say you, you get on a fire on assignment. Um, that's the food you need. So we generally don't have a hard time eating that much food when we're working like that. And, you know, guys that are listening, you pretty, you, you, if you're working that hard, you generally are hungry throughout the day. Um, one of the things that the research so, shows is that increasing episodes of eating is even more effective. So increasing the amount or the, the number of times you eat in the day um, is helpful. So, so for me, I six. eat, yeah, like I eat a lot of meals, you know, I try to eat four big meals and I snack throughout the day. I go to, you know, I go to Costco, I get like boxes of those snacks and stuff like that. I try to get those kind of calories. Um, and I get my simple carbs, I get complex carbs. My meals will consist of, you know, instead of, I used to have like a cup of rice for, for dinner with like, you know, I'll throw the chicken and rice thing out there as boring as it sounds like I like chicken Alfredo <laughs> with rice. That's what I'm doing right now. Like I meal prep my food and it changes every week, but right now I have, you know, chicken Alfredo with rice and I'll do, I used to do a cup. Now I do two cups or pasta is another example. I have, you know, pasta that I have with, um, like a meat sauce or meatballs or something like that. And that, you know, instead of doing 56 ounces of, you know, of dry, dried pasta, I do, you know, two servings of that. So just increasing serving sizes. And again, it's doing things incrementally over time and not doing things right away. So if you're only eating 2000 calories, start next week by eating 2200 a week. And then the week after that, eating 2400 a week, like just small changes over time especially in those soldier seasons, I can understand that, you know, you want to probably ramp up your caloric intake when you like, before you start training in the preseason, ramp it mm-hmm. up to where you're at, you're good main, you're at a good maintenance, maybe bulk up a little bit. So, cause you're going to, eventually you're going to start losing, you're going to go into mm-hmm. caloric deficit uh, over the season. You're starting to, you're going to start losing weight. And I don't know if there's a way around that where you can like kind of maintain an average weight, but yeah. But anyways, going through that, trying to maintain through the summer, and then ramping down towards the winter. Yeah. I think that's one of those things that you're talking about as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you actually had one of your guests, you had Michelle Urich on yeah. and she was talking about that too, was, uh, you know, not going into the season completely shredded and like in the best shape of your life, which Dude, you should be, off, obviously man. you should try to be, you should try to be in the best shape of your life going in. Like as far as you should try to be as physically well off as you can be. Yeah. Um, but you shouldn't, you know, you should be in a bulk going into the season. You should be in a caloric surplus going into the season because you are going to lose it. Like it is, 
it is inevitable um, that you're going to lose weight at some point. And that again, is that kind of the budgeting thing we talked about and the importance of the nutrition in the off season is if you do, if you are proactive about it, you can afford that. Um, but yeah, going to the season and, and bulking up a little bit is definitely important. Yeah. There was this project, uh, it was a smoky generation, uh, project. And what they did, it was a Canadian, uh, crew, a unit crew, I believe their version of hot shots. And, uh, they took a photo of each crew member from beginning of the season through their training all the way through the summer. And it went from like, Oh yeah, gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. And then it was just like dwindling, dwindling, dwindling bags in their eyes, fatigue is setting in, they're mm-hmm. losing tons of weight. And by the end of their season, when they wrapped up this project of this photo con, this photo th- uh, series, they all looked like Skeletor, man. It was bad. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that, that it's, it's inevitable that you'll lose something. I think at least from my experience that it's inevitable that, you know, you, you can go in as prepared as you want. You're still, because it's the nature of the job. You know, we, you don't, you as a human are just, we are not meant to be doing that right now. We are not meant to be, you know, taking 50,000 steps a day for two weeks straight and having no sleep and all that stress inflicted on us. And then coming back for two days, well now three days off, coming back for three days off. Um, and then going back out again for two weeks and doing that for as long as we do it, it's just the body's not meant for that. It's not really sustainable. It's not really a sustainable model. What's that? It's not really a sustainable model. (laughs) No, I I definitely would not call it a sustainable model. We're definitely not about, you know, it's definitely not a job if you want to live a long time, you know, but again, it is a job that guys love. And I understand completely like the addictive, you know, side of it and how there's a, there's a purpose behind it. You know, guys enjoy it. They enjoy not only the work, but they enjoy the people involved in the camaraderie that it provides and everything like that. And I, I, you know, coming from the Marine Corps into that hundred percent, see why guys do this for a living. And it makes complete sense. Um, and so again, just, you know, trying to, that's what the off season is for is trying to get back that longevity that you missed out on kind of in the end season when you're really focused on performance. So another thing with periodization comes, what is your goal during that period? So when you get into, obviously when we're in season, our goal is performance, we're all about performance, but we have a triangle that we look at and it's this. So on, on one point of the triangle, you have, you know, your performance on one side, you have longevity on the other side, you have aesthetics. The more you push toward one point of the triangle, the more you are pulled away from the other two. So the more we drive toward performance, the more we are pulling away from both longevity and aesthetics. And in the off season, you know, our, our, our focus should shift to longevity in the, in the post season where we're really focused on mobility and stability and recovery. And then if you want to focus on aesthetics with still some longevity, like keep yourself aesthetic and longevity based. And that could be since your metabolism is where it is, where you're eating all this food, um, go into that and try to build muscle from there. And so try to build that, that muscle to add onto your stability of your joints and try to maintain yourself. And yeah, you can create aesthetics and stuff, but again, that's for longevity and and create that good muscular foundation. Um, and then, and then come back up again and, and, uh, and, and work on that, you know, caloric surplus going into the preseason, but understanding that, that triangle, I think is, is a good visual for guys to know that you don't always have to live in this like high performance lifestyle. Like in the off season, you should really, which is something that I screwed like up too. <laughs> yeah. I screwed that up completely. Like this past year, I still didn't do it because I wanted to race dogs in the off season. And, you know, I come down here. So my off season was spent racing dogs in Alaska and my in season, I'm now firefighting. And then my off season, you know, 
probably should not be racing, but it probably will be again. <laughs> like trying to find a way though, to make that as physically as, as little physically demanding as possible. You know, cause obviously we all want to enjoy our off season too, but yeah. Like trying to give yourself a break and give your body a break. Yeah. It's okay to just veg out and play video games every once in a while. That's fine. You should do that for the first month you're done with the season. <laughs> like give your body a rest. But then again, there's also that party boy life, party boy and party girl lifestyle that firefighters typically mm-hmm. lead. And I know we got a little bit of an issue with uh, binge drinking and just drinking and substances mm-hmm. in general. Um, I mean, that's another thing too. Let's, let's talk about, Let's talk about alcohol. I mean, if you, if you would like to, um, now alcohol is a massive detriment to anything physiological from my understanding, it fucks up your sleep. It fucks up your hormones. Your, uh, it literally like kind of makes you dumb after a while. Um, if you, if you're really pouring it on the sauce, um, what else does it do? It just interrupts your hormones. It does a bunch of terrible shit and we're known for partying. So Let's yeah, talk about alcohol. Yeah. We definitely are. I mean, full disclosure, I, you know, I, I, I was, you know, I probably shouldn't say the age. I don't think it matters. I was 19 uh, when I went to AA and uh, I was, you know, as a Marine, I think when I first got in, it was like this whole, you know, I got cheated on and it was just the thing to do was guys, you know, I lived with 200 alcoholics. So that's just what you did. You yeah. know? So I partied from a young age and I, I did it from probably, you know, I did it for a while. And, um, you know, eventually, obviously, like I, you know, went to AA and figured things out a little bit, but I still drank a lot after that. Like I still went out and hung out with friends and whatnot. And then over the years, and especially probably this last year has been the, the, probably the healthiest relationship I've had with alcohol in my life. And it's not just alcohol. Like it's the same, it's the same with food, trying to develop a good relationship with it is important. Like I will never tell a client that enjoys you know, drinking wine at the end of the night. Like, let's say they like having a beer or a wine or something like that. Like I'll never tell them to completely get rid of that. If that's something they enjoy, then by all means you should do it. But understanding the relationship with it and the quantity and what it does to you is important. So how does that make you feel? You know, like how does the alcohol make you feel? Do you really enjoy being completely hung over the next day and like losing an entire day the next day? Dude, I'm 36 years old, man. If I drink too much, I'm fucked up for two days. I get two day hangovers. It's like, I can't get out of bed without like 800 of ibuprofen on on board. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, we've also, you know, as an agency, I think we've seen quite a bit of incidents that have occurred due to alcohol. And we've all had our personal experiences in the agency with incidents that have happened due to alcohol. Um, And again, I, I think going dry and cutting it off completely is, is hard to do, um, because we all enjoy, you know, a really stressful shift and then coming back and just going out and having a beer with our, with our crew or something like that, or just going out and have a drink with everybody and just kind of unwinding. Like I totally, like you shouldn't cut that out, but do you really need to go get messed up? And and how does that make you feel the next day? Do you really enjoy the, uh, the night before you really enjoy being hung over the next day? What does that relationship look like? I mean, I know I'm just as guilty of it too. I mean, I've been blacked out. Well, not blacked out, on duty, of course, but been blacked out the night before, woke up, got in the buggy and then time traveled across the United States in the back of a buggy. And yeah, that shit happens, man. But do I do that shit anymore? <laughs> Maybe once in a blue moon, but I mean, I just, I'm become the master of the Irish goodbye. Sorry, Paul Peterson, I Irish goodbye on your, uh, <laughs> your retirement party, but <laughs> I saw the writing on the wall, brother. <laughs> It's expensive too. It's super expensive, man. I got two. It's like our retention pay is not for, uh, not for alcohol. (laughs) No, save that shit. 
don't yeah don't get drunk every weekend and buy a fucking Tacoma <laughs> yeah so mm. much so much debt that ends up in the parking lot next season yeah uh, this yeah. is my down payment on my house that I'm more or my <laughs> my house which is actually a vehicle oh like don't get me started on that one I'm not gonna go down that route yeah so as far as like the data that's uh, currently out there with nutrition data, you're, we were talking a little bit uh, before the camera started rolling and uh, you were saying, and we kind of came to the conclusion mutually that uh, it's a little bit antiquated per se. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean. Oh, he's pulling it up. So you need a Jamie yeah, like Joe Rogan has. Yeah. I'm looking at the, uh, the study that I was looking at earlier. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I definitely would say it's, it's slightly a little bit antiquated. Um, and it's, it's not that bad though. It's not, it's from the most recent research and all that observational stuff, as far as nutrition goes, is from 2018. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to, I was trying to pull that up for you so I could actually read from it. Um, but yeah, it's from 2018. That's one that I was talking about where it was, um, the, they sent those guys out to the different crews to observe what they were eating and stuff like that on incidents. And I don't, I don't think the issue is that it's, that it's outdated necessarily. I, I think the issue is that it's, it's only on assignments. So you don't get a good idea of what the actual firefighters nutrition looks like throughout the year. Okay. So that's um, a clarifying point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to know that. Um, that's very hard with human subjects. It's very hard to do research like that because that is requiring someone to track their food for an entire year. Yeah. It's like how, yeah. Like how do you pay your researchers for that? It's not like the intern's going to be showing up at your house and be like, what did you eat today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and then it, then if that's the case, you're relying on a lot of self-reported data and then which is unreal going into, you know, what that looks like for research. It's very hard to create legitimate research about that. Um, so yeah, like I said, I don't think it's more, I don't think it's so much that the, the research is antiquated. I think it's that it's just not, uh, it's just hard to gauge what it is. You know, I don't, I don't even want to call it incomplete, um, because the research they did is it's really good for what, um, for what we need. Gotcha. You know, it's really good for showing us what we're fed on incidents, but again, it's just not, uh, it's just not the full year. So it's yeah. hard to tell. Well, it's not necessarily tracking what you're stopping and eating at the gas station when you have a piss break or a fuel break with the buggies or the engine mm -hmm. or whatever either. So, I mean, sometimes that's all you got. I mean, I used to keep a food box, like a little small food box of like snacks, something that's pretty good, like pro bars or whatever I can mm -hmm. find that was like decent food <laughs> to put, it was like going to last, you know? So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of uh, it's personal accountability in this whole nutrition game as well. And I think that's one of the overlooked things. Like, cause we've, we're waiting on the agency to fix a lot of shit. Like, I mean, yeah. look at the BIL and the uh, presidential pay uh, or budget proposal. If we're waiting on the government to do anything, we're going to be holding our breath for a long goddamn time. So I think this personal yeah. accountability thing takes a huge, huge, uh, role in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like having that platform that guys can all get together in one location to actually talk to each other about it. And again, like, like you just said, you had your own personal method for finding those nutrients and feeding yourself and taking care of yourself. It's a lot easier if we have, you know, if we have ways to talk to each other and get information and, and like recommendations for how to take care of stuff. So having a central location, a forum that people can just get on and ask questions and they get answered by individuals that have the experience because one of the things that lacks from, you know, the, I didn't want to say lacks, but the, the research, the connections missing 
because a lot of times you can't, it's very hard to show the human factor in research. So it's very hard to take, you know, to show people's individual habits and whatnot through scientific research. And so that's where working with individuals and using research. So being evidence-based, but not evidence-bound kind of comes in. So all the decisions we make, all the recommendations we make are evidence-based, but they're also taking into account you as an individual and your personal habits and food preferences and, you know, your lifestyle and everything. So having a location they can come to you to get recommendations and advice from like, that's the, again, that's the, that's the kind of the goal for everything. That's the end goal. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it really helps. Uh, kind of point people in the right direction. And also I hope people that are like higher up in the chain that are making policy, like the policy and decision makers, uh, in our, uh, government, I hope that they're actually looking at this too, because then they can take a little bit of guidance and implement it into new policy. And like we were talking about earlier, it's like they changed, uh, the policy like then was that 2018 for the, mm-hmm. um, uh, close versus cheap. One was the, was the 21, 21. Yeah. Yeah. Last year was the first year of the contract. Okay. So, and they changed everything from closest available resource to the most affordable resource. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That was one of the big, the big changes came from the prioritizing the cheapest catering over the closest catering. And our contract works, so they, they contract caterers to be ready. So essentially they pay caterers in, in, in areas to be ready to be called to fires. Like a standby. And what that policy says now is, you know, of those contracted caterers order the cheaper one. And so it's incentivizing caterers to provide cheaper food. Um, and again, we don't need research or anything to tell us that that's not a good thing for firefighter health or safety. Um, but we have plenty of research that shows that anyway, we don't need it, but we have it. So yeah, that's, that's another thing that we love to address with what we're doing. Um, and so there probably will be, um, if it's not, if it's not addressed this year through, um, and that's why I put a hold to the observational research that I was doing, um, because I really want to work on this education program and proposal to the, the agencies. Um, then next year, what we will, that's probably what we'll do next year is, is the same format of what they did in 2018, but I'm going to push to do it next year where we can see the impact of that policy. And we can see, yes, that's what it was in 2018, but this is where it is now and kind of give them a comparison of where, it, where things have gone in the last couple of years. Um, so that'd be, that'd be, uh, something that we're going to be geared toward for the next, for the next year. I'm just really concerned because it's that whole like triangle, speaking of triangles and like visualizing data. It's like mm-hmm. you get <laughs> in, in commerce, you have what fast, cheap and uh, quality, right? Yeah. Pick yeah. two. So <laughs> if you're prioritizing <laughs> <Yeah>. cheap <laughs> and fast, well, your quality is going to fucking suck. It's just no two ways around it. And I'm really concerned about uh, the overall welfare and the health and the safety component as well for the folks out there with this new policy change, this new contract change. And granted, there's some contractors out there that are in it to make a buck. And then there's also contractors out there like food caterer contractors out there to, you know, really do good job and like make an impression Mm -hmm. on firefighters. Like I've had some amazing fire meals from caterers before. Yeah. And I've had also, you know, a one sausage with a bunch of goddamn gravy over it, over a waffle. It's like, what the fuck is this? You know? So yeah, that, that means calories, but I don't know what I'm looking at. Yeah. It's like real questionable, right? They're basically putting, I don't know, (laughs) freaking little, those little canned sausages or whatever they are (laughs) in your freaking meal. Yeah. We, I mean, I, I mean, I can't, I, I need more than two hands to take the amount of times I've been given a frozen burrito. On yeah, fire. no shit. Right. Um, and, it, and again, like I get it, that that was an attempt to put calories in front of me and get me stuff. But it's like, I, 
I had never, I was so surprised the first time I got a frozen burrito in a, in a sack lunch. It's uh, kind of like humiliating. <laughs> it's kind of insulting. You know, it's like, are you fucking serious, man? I'm on spiked out on top of the hill and you've, this is what you gave us a cooler full of frozen burritos to eat in the morning. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you know, engine, engine life, you throw it on a dashboard and it like heats up eventually. But yeah. You throw it on a shovel and do? put it in a stump hole or something like that. But yeah, oh, man, it's like, yeah. Yeah. So, and again, I just, that, that the people putting the lunches together, the people that are ordering stuff like that, they care. But again, that education piece that, that is, is lacking. So, yeah. Well, that's another thing too, though. I mean, do you want to kind of go into the insulin spike and hazard that it presents? I mean, I, there's anecdotal uh, evidence out there with like the lunchtime and its correlation to insulin, uh, the spike and drop. Mm-hmm. So you get tired and get complacent. feels probably like you have a gut bomb and ate a handful of Xanax at the same time. Mm-hmm. But also that two o'clock burn period when all of our accidents tend to happen, mm-hmm. like there's anecdotal evidence that there is uh, that the meals can be a contributing factor into decision-making and safety. Like, do you want to explore that or do you want to just not even touch that topic? Cause I understand. No, that. no, I, yeah, yeah, I definitely have some, and it'd be more, more speculation based off of my knowledge of what that could be. Um, and I'm pretty confident that, that, that this is what it is. Um, so with cortisol specifically, we have two main times throughout the day that it spikes. And the first time is when we wake up in the morning that it spikes. And the second time is after we work out firefighters, our cortisol is jacked up. So it's very hard to say that for sure it's a cortisol decrease that's happening in the afternoon. So it's very hard to gauge cortisol in firefighters because of the line of work and the lifestyle that we live. Um, It can be varying again on the individual. But what I would say is that chances are it's a combination of cortisol coming down from that morning spike and um, insulin itself has kind of a counter regulatory effect on cortisol. So when we have these simple carb, you know, sugary meals like donuts or granola, stuff like that, like these sugary things, when we have sugar, our body digests and glucose goes in the bloodstream and insulin, it, our body responds by producing insulin, which pulls glucose from the bloodstream. So that insulin being active is counter-regulating and dropping cortisol. And that drop in cortisol could be leading to, you know, a lack of attentiveness, a lack awareness and firefighters. That could be one of the reasons. Um, one of the ways around that, that I would say, and I know that um, at least this part, I know Dr. Ruby would agree with, was that one of the ways to mitigate that is increasing the, we call it episode, episodes of eating. So increasing the amount of times you eat every day. Um, as long as you're constantly or consistently feeding yourself with those simple and complex carbohydrates throughout the work shift, you should not experience that as much that lack of attentiveness because you're constantly fueling yourself and keeping that running through you. You don't have the time for that insulin to really spike up, you know, and, and create that kind of fluctuation, fluctuation with hormones. I'm not an expert on that. So like, I'm not going to say that that is what's happening, but if I were to guess it would, you know, on ways to mitigate, it would be to increase the episodes that we're eating. So giving your crews, maybe you take the five or 10 and you give your crews a minute to sit there and eat something really quick. And you do, you know, if you can take five, like once every two hours um, to mitigate that, then that's ideal. You know, once every hour or two, then that would probably go a long way to mitigating any sort of risk in that critical burn period. Yeah. And no, this is another thing too, that, that, that one thirty two o'clock ass drag that you get after you eat lunch, man. I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of those things that you could probably do your own due diligence on as well. Um, just by, you know, 
I don't know, having pocket snacks and just eating while swinging a tool or mm-hmm. eating at, you know, at opportune moments throughout the day, like you're saying too. So if it's not even like a designated break, you could still, you know, walk chew bubble gum and, yeah. you know, do all yeah. that shit at the same time, swing a tool yeah. at the same time. So I guess it's just to figure it out instead of eating a massive meal all at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, that, that comes back to the moral of the story really is creating that forum. Because if you have that, you have those, you know, maybe, maybe not everybody likes granola. Well, this guy likes this and this guy likes that. And you have all these ideas that come together. This is what we do for our crews. And you see, like you guys in, in Nevada are working with the BLM is working to implement this already. And, and Dr. Ruby's research is they're, they're being, it's in being implemented there, but getting everybody together in one place and saying, yeah, this stuff is working for me because we can't just wait for the research to be done. We can't just wait for the policies to be changed. We got to take a step and we got to take some action to do it ourselves and communicate with each other on what works for us. You know, you see hotshot crews like Wyoming is one of those crews that uh, they have their own traveling kitchen. Which is badass. Dude, talk about like the COVID silver lining right there. That was freaking cool. And I know there's other crews out there that uh, did it, but I think uh, Wyoming was one of the ones that kind of publicized what they did Mm -hmm. as like an example for uh, people to follow along if they chose to. But yeah. not only did it save a, a shit ton of money for the agency, it was also better nutrition all around and better performance out of the crew. Mm-hmm. Like it's been, it's been noted, it's yeah. been documented that this was the effect and outcome of their idea to build yeah. a mobile kitchen. So yeah. 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 And that comes with its own challenges. I think if you, if you talk to them, the challenge would probably be, yeah, we have to designate people to either, you know, wake up early or stay up later or, or come in early from the line to, to cook food mm-hmm. or wake up early and everybody else to cook food. And so the logistical piece is, is a bit more complicated in that regard. Um, and then you have those crews like on an engine crew, you know, granted, you know, we're not, chances are we're not out on the line as much as crews, obviously. Um, but do we have the time between, you know, six guys on one engine? Do we have the manpower to run a kitchen ourselves? and do that stuff. So is that an option? Does that work for engines? I don't know of anybody that works for an engines or hell attack or anything like that. Like, that's why I want that, that forum that we can come together and actually talk about it because we know of Wyoming, like we know that Nevada BLM is working on these things, but we don't know of the other stuff that's happening in the country right now. Like we just don't, because there's so much going on and there's not a place where we can come together and talk about it. So let's create that. And again, that, that for me, if, if, if you're listening to this, that's why I brought it up. Like 13 times, you know, <laughs> that's what I want. It's just a place to talk about stuff together. And yeah. because th- that's an awesome idea to have a traveling kitchen. Everybody's got awesome ideas. We just don't share them with each other because we don't have a way to talk to each other. So this is true, man. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a simple shit too. It's like even word of mouth. Like, uh, I, one thing that, um, I would always do with the engine that I was on as I would have, like, I would just like do a crew kitty fund. Right. And everybody pitch in like, I don't know, 50 bucks or whatever, 25 bucks at the beginning of the season, I'd go to REI or wherever and get a bunch of those like frozen, uh, freeze dried meals, which -hmm. are actually better for you than a lot of people would like one would might think, I mean, comparatively speaking to like the shit that you're getting out of the, uh, the caterer or the MRE box of MREs, you know? So it's like simple stuff, like workarounds, right? They're small, they're lightweight. They don't take up a lot of room and you can feed a lot of people with one of those things. You did, mm-hmm. some of them are like four servings and you just like boop, split it up, you know, and you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then on hell, I like hearing people's table salt Neo stories. You know, like I hear, yeah. I like hearing the individual stuff that people have that. Cause we also like, we all live on a relatively similar budget. Yeah. You know, so what works within that budget too? The only people that know best are us. 
Yeah. So the other thing that that's been cool is it, it's been received really well so far because it's come from um, a lot of the, you know, this research and stuff isn't, this is, you know, Dr. Ruby Marks, like these are other individuals that have conducted the research in the past and have laid the groundwork for the past couple of decades. I'm just the guy on the inside, you know, that, that is experiencing the lifestyle every day um, that has access to the research. And, you know, I just want to share it with everybody. So I'm trying to take their work and give it to everybody. It's just received better, I think, because I understand, you know, where we're coming from because I am a firefighter and I am working this season. So I think that's actually one of the linchpins of like early adoption to new ideas though, because if it's mm-hmm. two things that firefighters hates, it's the way things are and change. So yeah, yeah. If you can yeah, establish something, <laughs> right. It's like, if you can establish some like legitimacy behind it too, because we're super xenophobic to some degree. Um, actually to a high degree, I want to say we're xenophobic. We don't like outsiders, right? For the most part, firefighters, wildland mm-hmm. firefighters, and even structure firefighters, they tend to gravitate towards their own flock of people, their own flock of feathers, if you will. But, uh, that's another thing, dude, is like, if you establish that early adoption and have legitimacy behind it by boots on the ground, you're going to get a lot better feedback from people mm-hmm. and a lot more people willing to actually jump on board with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like we, we had talked about that research that they did in 2018, where they had the folks come out and track all the food and do all that stuff. And that research, I've talked to some of the individuals involved in that, at least from the fireside that were on those crews and they were confused because they didn't know what happened to it. You know, they're like, we had all this research, they've done all this work, but like, what, where'd it go? Like what happened to it? We put all the work in to do it, but it just seemed like it went away. And I just want that to be clear too, that it didn't just go away and it was published. And that's what we're working. That's the research we're working with right now. So it didn't just go away. Um, and we're actually doing something with it now. Um, and, and it has, it's just, it always takes time to publish stuff and get stuff rolling. Yeah. But the fact that we have a way to apply it and some ears to listen now, um, now we actually have some momentum for it. So getting the participation from people and people reaching out to me and letting me know their experiences like that, that's huge for me. Um, because it doesn't just mean I'm, you know, throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping stuff sticks. Like I need stuff that people think is actually helpful. Like if the forum, you know, I think it would be incredibly helpful. If it's not, then I need people to tell me that and say like, no, that's not what we need. We need this instead. But, you know, coming up with that thing that people need the most is, is what we're trying to do. So I just need people to, to be in touch. You know, I, I think I've contacted I've reached out to a lot of crews. I've gotten back from, I think I've heard back from maybe five or six crews. Uh, I've gotten with a couple teams down here, region three. Um, so all this is pretty much in its infancy. And it's, uh, again, it's, it's really just possibly one more person right now, but the person that's doing all this stuff for the nutrition at the moment um, from the forum side. And like this goal that I have is really just me at the moment. So one definitely need the feedback here. from crews. <laughs> Well, I might have help here soon. I, I am. I have another meeting um, when we're done with another person at NTDP. And again, that's my goal. Like I'm just trying to get that ball rolling with them too, because they're the ones with the funding. They're the ones with the ability to, and I'm just the one with the outreach and the, the empathy really is kind of where, how I see it. Gotcha. Well, it takes uh, an army to move, uh, <laughs> move things in the right directions. It takes a village, so to speak. But uh, with that, where do we find you? How do we reach out to you? When is this forum going live, man? Where can we, you know, get our input and mm-hmm. where can we share our, our thoughts and opinions and everything like that with nutrition and with the project you're working on? Yeah. So there's two ways really going to hold of me um, right now. It's either through Instagram or email. So my email is jshelly 
to at alaska.edu. So that's J-S-H-E-L-L-E-Y to at alaska.edu. Um, and then my Instagram is at JJ Shelley 23. So it's J-J-S-H-E-L-L-E-Y 23. Um, and either one of those ways is fine. Just get in touch with me. And all I'm trying to do is, is hear out maybe different methods that you guys have used to improve your cruise, either nutrition or wellness as a whole, um, or what would be beneficial to you, or just tell me that you're stoked about it and want to be a part of it. Um, I just, you know, like I said, getting the more people, getting more people involved creates a better representation of the issue. So both with science and outside of science, the more people we have involved in this, the more we can re we can create a uh, representation of the population that we have. Yeah. So the more we can represent you guys, if the more people participate, the more people get in touch. Um, and, and again, this is the, it's in his infancy. So the forum hasn't started yet and I'm putting it together. Um, and, and, you know, I'm still juggling the fire season and in school and everything. So again, this is like my, all my free time is, is toward this. Um, so I basically get home at, you know, 6, 7 PM every day. And then Step I sit down and PHP. I work on, yeah, I <laughs> work on this. <laughs> Dude. That's another thing too. You need that sample size, right? And that's why it's critical for people yeah. to reach out to you and communicate yeah. with you and have that, you know, constructive feedback both ways. Mm -hmm. That way, you know, you can have an excellent quality product. I mean, cause it's nothing yeah. going to get changed yeah. unless you have the sample size and the data that you need. Right. Yeah. And, and also just to answer any questions or skepticisms that people have, like people are skeptical of when they, they participate in research and, and it doesn't seem like it benefited them at all. Like people, people can, can take that, uh, uh, the other, you know, wrong way. So I just want to also want to show people that yes, the research is being done here. It is. If you want to be, you know, if you want to see it, I've talked to Dr. Ruby himself and he's, he is a, a great guy because he genuinely cares about us. Oh yeah. Um, he's been doing this for 25 plus years and he said, you know, I'll help in any way I can. And part of that is getting his research out and letting people see it for what it is. Um, so getting that out there, but also, you know, just helping where we can, anybody can reach out to me too. If anybody has any questions about just feeding your guys immediate questions, I would be more than happy to meet with people and just help them walk through, you know, this is how you calculate the numbers of what to eat. This is how you coach your crew. And that is all completely free. Just hit me up and say, you know, who you are, where you're from and what crew you're working with. And I'd love to work with you for no charge, obviously, because we're all, we're all part of the same agency here. So. Oh yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, I hope that the research project goes good and I hope that the forum gets uh, actually used because if it doesn't get used. I'm going to be awful pissed at some folks, the boots on the ground, because how are we going to change policy unless we have that size, yeah. right? And that feedback. I'll but, start uh, yelling, you know, I'll start, <laughs> just I'll, like I'll, that I'll start shit. getting mad about it. I'll, I'll let people know about it. That's <laughs> kind of the point too, of like making a bunch of friends. I'm just going to start emailing people and be like, Hey, get on the forum and use it. We need you there. So yeah, shit. I'll join it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'll let you know when it gets going, man, for sure. Copy that, man. And, uh, yeah, just like, uh, shoot me all that info when it gets going. That way I can like kind of push it out there and help spread the word yeah, a little bit. I'll get you all the, the research and stuff too that I got. Oh yeah, man. Appreciate it. Well, coming to the end of the show, man, uh, I always give the opportunity to have you give a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. Who do you got for us, man? Ooh, you know, if I had to give, because I'm not a there's another podcast it is that, do you mind if I shout out a podcast? Sure. Yeah. So there's a podcast that I follow vehemently and they are, um, it's mind pump media mind pump. And I think I've they're heard called, yeah. So it's mind pump and they it's outside of, I mean, they're very good for general nutrition stuff. Um, all of my nation is from the nutritional coaching Institute. That's who I'm certified through. Um, and I found that Institute from them. And so anything exercise related, um, I was on their podcast for like 10 minutes talking about wildland firefighter exercise. And we kind of bounce some ideas back and forth. 
So if you go to that and you go to episode 1996, um, that also they shout out, Hey, this is how you program uh, exercise for firefighters. Oh yeah. So they have done it on there. I'm just trying to get them to be more on board, you know, get us on there more. But uh, those guys by far, um, as far as like mobility, stability exercise, they are geniuses. Um, and I just, they, they're the ones that got me into nutrition in the first place, really. Um, and so if you guys are listening, like those guys would be definitely the place to go to for any other exercise questions for sure. Oh Yeah. Well, James, I appreciate you being on the show, man. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get you on here again once this uh, research is completed and everything's launched, man. Get your uh, get your opinion on some of these changes, especially with that new. Uh, you said to had to. You said you had to stop one of your projects to work on this new one because of the new contract. So maybe we yeah, can yeah. talk so about that later. It's gonna be a multi year thing for sure. Oh yeah, dude. I, yeah, I don't plan on going anywhere. So unless something catastrophic <laughs> happens, like I get hit by a bus or something. So. <laughs> Well, hopefully you don't get hit by a bus because we still need the podcast. So oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hope everybody enjoyed the show and got some uh, tasty tidbits out of this. And yeah, we'll put those, uh, all those links and stuff and contact information for James here in the uh, show notes. So thanks for listening. And boom, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast is going to be in the books with my good friend, James Shelley. Yeah. And uh, dude, I'm sorry about that. But when you first approached me, I thought this was going to be like about nutrition, like the actual stuff that you put in your body, not uh, not policy. So kind of threw me for a loop, but it was like a pleasing, it was like a, a, a good surprise, you know? So uh, yeah. Uh, if you want to change the game on the ground, well, this is how you do it. And if you want to hit up uh, James on his Instagram, you can just go visit his at uh, JJShelly23. And that's with two L's. And uh, yeah, he'll answer any questions that you happen to have. But once again, James, thank you so much for being on the show, man, and sharing some of your professional wisdom. And uh, yeah, hopefully we can move forward and uh, get these things changed for the boots on the ground. Anyways, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is, uh, well, recovering from Canada now. Yeah, it's uh, pretty gnarly. Seems like they can't get a break and it still keeps on going, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, hope everybody's doing well. Mm, special shout out to our sponsors. We've got Mystery Ranch built for the mission. If you want to find out more about their Backbone series, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. We've got Hotshot Brewery. They are purveyors of the most kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. And if you want to find out more, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com where you can get all of your tools of the trade and kick-ass coffee and apparel to suit your needs. We've got the ass movement. My bro booze over there slinging that poo bearing propaganda. Keep on doing what you're doing. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement and uh, use that code that I was talking about because you can get 10% off your order. And then last but not least, we've got the Smoky Generation. She is building a catalog of wildland firefighters stories across the globe and it's all located at www wildfireexperience.org. It's awesome. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. As for the rest of you, y'all know the drill. Stay safe, stay savage. Peace.